When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. First, thanks so much for checking out this episode, making your way to this series. If uh, it's your first time here, you're not a subscriber, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. What are you waiting for? We put out brand new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's three times a week to keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones, and know what's happening in the music world. Of course, you can find us wherever you're listening from right now, but also in the major podcast hotspots like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and YouTube as well. There is a video version of this interview if you're only checking out this audio version uh, at YouTube. Just search up uh, Kyle Meredith with. And I'm Kyle Meredith. Today I'm going to be talking with Robin Pecknold of Fleet Foxes, who gave us a surprise album uh, this fall. In fact, it dropped on the fall equinox. It's called Shore. And Robin and I are going to get into, he talks about musically mapping the record out beforehand, looking for more concise, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say poppier songs, and then telling us the story of hitting the road during quarantine, uh, driving around upstate New York, making this sort of a lyrical road record, uh, a road record that that looks back. It's got outward-looking lyrics. He talks about seeing the past for what it is instead of the uh, the rose-tinted glasses that we put on it uh, a lot of times anyway. 
but also reflecting the things that he was seeing, like uh, the protests going on in, in New York, where he lives, uh, the shared experience that we all have with this pandemic, 8 billion people on the planet, uh, and we, we've all been through it now. Talking about who's in the band this time around, who's on this record, uh, rather, his penchant for uh, marking time in his lyrics, you know, that you can go all the way back through his entire catalog. And, and time seems to play a big factor in it. He talks also about controlling a person's perception of time, even if it's just the sequencing of the record. Uh, we'll also hear a, a, a heartwarming story about um, his grandfather's stroke and, uh, and, and sort of rehabbing him uh, with music. Uh, in fact, we that leads on to talking about more about memory and immortality, and even a 24-hour song album that he originally planned for this record that still might see the light of day, actually. So let's get into it, discussing the record, sure. It's Kyle Meredith with Fleet Foxes. Hey, Kyle. There's new music from Fleet Foxes Land with this uh, beautiful and fun new record, sure, yeah. which is... um. Which is kind of cool to say. I mean, it's, uh, it's always beautiful, but fun is not always a word I would use for every Fleet Foxes record. But there's something about this. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. I thought, you know, 10 years in, my gosh, if uh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, you know, it's, it's never fair to compare albums. But when you put it up to the last one with Crack Up, there does seem to be an obvious simplification going on here. Concise. I mean, if you want to call it the pop songs or, or whatever, is that something that you went into this thinking that you wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, I think like with Crack Up, you know, that was kind of the end of the line in terms of certain kinds of songs that were, you know, started to experiment with on Helplessness Blues, just kind of like multi-part things or these kind of sweet-like things, um, you know. And I, it just didn't feel like that would, doing that again, I think it would have just been diminishing returns. Um, and, you know, this it became the challenge of kind of like finding um, other, I guess, you know, cause that can be a bit of a parlor trick kind of thing where, or a party trick where it's just like, Hey, this is an eight minute song. Wow. But plenty of, there are plenty of eight minute stretches of music on like a, you know, any album that aren't like, no one takes that as like some grand accomplishment that's just on its face that they were able to string eight minutes of music together. Um, so I think like, you know, I was thinking more about records like in the airplane over the sea uh, you know, stuff where there's like a simplicity, but there's also like this impossibility in terms of like finding the really good, simple thing that is worth working really hard on or worth mm -hmm. finishing. Because I, I mean, I wrote 40 songs for this thing and just, you know, kept kept the ones that felt, even if they, some of them are a little simpler, just kept the ones that felt like undeniable. In, in some facet of it felt like it needed to be finished, you know. I remember uh, you and I talked about that uh, on the Crack Up promotional tour and everything about you know, I, I wasn't getting on about eight minute songs, but we definitely talked about there being movements and using sort of different ideas. You, you don't totally abandon it outright. I mean, you, you find ways to work that in. Is it more of a challenge though, of figuring out how to have movements in smaller songs? Yeah, it was, it was more about kind of like, um, you know, there, the, the, I actually had kind of a tempo map for this album before I had some of the songs. So I was like, okay, the first song, this song, the, the song in this position needs to be 126 BPM because the song one before it is 102 or stuff like that, where it was like, I had kind of a feel map to kind of like really nail the flow of the album. And so that was kind of a way, you know, there are stretches of the album where, you know, the tempos between songs were, were super, super deliberate. And even if the content of the um, individual songs is, they're, they're quite different from each other, 
there's like that other kind of sub, sub, uh, subconscious or subliminal um, connection point between them. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and then something like uh, can, uh, Waiting in Waste High Water, the intro song Into Sunblind, you know, that was a very choreographed, smooth, gradient kind of tr- transition between songs as opposed to the crack up style, these kind of rough cuts, you know. So the, I think that, you know, this took more intellectual heavy lifting, but I wanted it to be kind of invisible. I think on Crack Up, it was a little more like, you know, you want to see the brush strokes. And this was a little more like, you know, if you if you dig into it, there's this kind of a, a, a lot under the surface, but it doesn't, it, that's not what it's announcing at the top. Even like a song like Sunblind, a bunch of the people who played on that song played with the people mentioned in the song. And they play on the song in a way similar to the way they played with those people. You right. know, so they were kind of like, you know, these li- just some layers of, of musical and lyrical interaction um, that, you know, I-, I was happy to work into the songs that felt, you know, nuanced to me. I love that about this, though, because, you know, for some artists or for some songs, for any artist, you, you know, you can just kind of go into it blindly and accept what's taken, you know, what, what's, whatever's happened. Uh, I'll tell you, for an interviewer, it's rare to actually have someone know, like, no, I really thought about this going in, like, which is great, by the way, for questioning. But hearing about how you you said, I think, in one interview that you'd already had the album mapped out in a certain way, even by February. And this was before you realized thematically and lyrically what it was even going to be about. When you talk about having it mapped out, is that what you're getting at, uh, what you were just talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I had, you know, I, I always it's much easier for me to write um, music and lyric and melodies than it is for me to write lyrics because, you know, lyrics, I'm sometimes kind of having to, they're the kind of last piece because they, you know, they, they can color the music um, in so many ways that, that, you know, I like doing them last because they, you know, that, that the music can be one thing and then the lyrics can kind of bend them into, bend the music into this, whatever the final emotional form of it needs to be. Um, but it was a huge bottleneck having 15 songs basically done, but, you know, born, you know, I knew what the work was for the music, but I had no lyrics at all. Yeah. And, and then lyrically, I, I find it interesting because, so the story that you tell is, you know, you were having some trouble with the lyrics. And so eventually, you know, during quarantine pandemic, you just kind of hit the road to upstate New York. And I thought, well, this is interesting because as you're driving around and these lyrics are coming to you, this sort of unintentionally becomes a road record in a time where no one else can make road records because there's no touring, you know, like, like, and you know what a road record is, of course, you know what I'm talking about. How similar is that stereotypical version of that versus what we're getting right now? I mean, how much was that influence there? Uh, I think it was, it was, you know, that was a great way to kind of like, you know, obviously it's after three months locked up, you know, getting out into the city, out of the city in that way was like very healing and very like felt really great. And then getting to listen to the rough mixes without lyrics on them, you know, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, this is like road trip music. This is good car music. This is would be really fun to play live if we had that opportunity. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, it's just a surreal thing where you're passing through this bucolic landscape. One one of your arms is all sunburned and from eight hours in the car. But then there are, you know, these these signs saying, you know, quarantine for 14 days if you're coming into, you know, this county or you know, and, and masks at the gas station and just these kind of, you know, the kind of you, you just the universality of the, of the, you know, these little, I guess that was kind of how the album I, I, that ended up being how the lyrics kind of felt to me too, where it's like 
some, on some level there's like an element of escapism, but then like flashes here and there of this kind of contemporary experience we're all going through, you know, which yeah. was kind of like how it felt on those drives. It's interesting, you know, as we look back on other records and, and trying to figure out how we'll look back on the records coming out this year, because, yeah. you know, for some artists like, oh, that's, that's the Trump album, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, and this becomes, you know, the pandemic album in a way, even though it was never intended to be like that, you know. It's, yeah. And, you know, we could have waited until, but who knows what next year is going to be like? Who knows what's happening in November? Who's, you know, it's all so many unknowns. And it just felt like, I felt like in this moment, this particular moment, I was only finished the album three weeks ago. And so we came out one week ago wow. and, 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 um, you know, it was just like, cool, let's just get it out there. Cause this is like this one window of time where, you know, I think people can listen to this and not have it feel like, like cause some of the records that came out like in April, May, I was like, I'm always going to think about lockdown when I hear that music always. Yeah. There's just no way to disconnect it. And I didn't want, I'm glad that that wasn't, I don't feel that 100% right now, but so I was glad to have this moment to, to, to get it out there that it could be maybe helpful if you like this music, like this kind of music and you're listening to it in this context, but maybe you can listen to it next year and not be like, get PTSD or something. <laughs> now, it, it's not obvious in lyrics and I don't even know if it's there, but you know, as an artist reflects what they see around us, you were seeing the protests outside, you know, in New York, same way we're seeing it here in, in Louisville. Did that make its way into the songs? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like my Stronza, that song is, you know, pretty much just about, watching you know getting reports from seattle my old neighborhood in seattle being you know occupied and the police abandoning the police station there and you know um how that whole how that whole experience transpired um and then kind of you know missing friends but knowing that you know we're in this weird time where we're, we're you know i have something in common with everyone on earth now in terms of how you know having gone through this exact same thing i i've never felt that much in common with anybody and now it's everyone and it's that's very strange but it's you know it's collective you know uh isolation removed you know it's a weird bonding thing and and you know i miss my friends but i know we're all kind of like you know on the same track and caring about the same things and that there's there's a power in that and um you know so on that song that's the song where it's most you know and also mentioning you know like feeling like maybe this con man's era is coming to a close, you know, that we're in this moment where that's, there's hope for that. You know, there's been not just, I feel like there's been a lot of wool pulled over our eyes and in politics and in technology and in, in media and in, in a lot of different facets the last few years, you know, that I felt disconnected from and discouraged by. And um, so that stuff, you know, and then just kind of a general acknowledgement of my privilege, I guess, you know, well, I mean, not, I guess, but, for sure. I think that made its way into the lyrics, you know, just being like how the cards fell, you know, for me was that I had a roof over my head and then, you know, I had an album to finish, but I'm not out of work. You know, I don't have a traditional job and, and just feeling grateful for that and lucky for that. And, and knowing, you know, how small my problems are in comparison to what, what's been going on. And, you know, that, that made its way into the lyrics in a big way. I, I love the way you painted that too, especially at the beginning of that answer with, with, talking about a shared experience with 8 billion people on the planet. Yeah. I mean, we, we can all talk about, you know, global events and, and, and our take on that, but to have that same, I mean, that's, it's, it's hard to grasp that enormity of that, but there's not a person on the planet that you wouldn't, you couldn't, it's like the, the smokers conversation. You always have something to talk yeah. about if you're a smoker, you know, it's, it's that. Totally. We're all smokers now. No, I can talk to, <laughs> I can talk to anybody on the street now. No right. problem. Right. It's incredible. 
quite quite unbelievable. Uh, on that subject of people, though, I, and and I would like to hear about who the band is this time, who your collaborators are this time, because you know you're, you're talking about you know when you when you said you put them all together and they play together, so that's the sound. It was of course that's that's a recipe. You know, we talk about when you put a certain recipe in the bowl, that's the meal you're going to come up with. Yeah. Who are the people you're playing with now, and and I guess why why them? Well, I mean, I think you know, and this this was also this this aspect of it was also influenced by the pandemic for sure. Um, I think like, you know, back in September, I recorded the horns with the Westerlies and back in November, I recorded all, you know, a lot of drum tracks with Chris Bear from Grizzly Bear and they did an incredible job. You know, Westerlies, I really wanted to work with them again after having such a great experience on Crack Up and on tour with them. And then Chris is just like such an incredible drummer. And, you know, I think Grizzly Bear is, less active right now. And we, you know, we, we've become friends over the years and I just really wanted, you know, I thought, you know, I wanted to take the opportunity to record with him because I've just been such a big admirer and I didn't want to, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to afford to do 17 days of drum sessions ever again, you know, so I might as well uh, do it this time <laughs> with this guy that I admire so much, just in case, you know, who knows how, how the future will go. And then, you know, after that, I just kind of kept trucking along, you know, I think with, with, with Crack Up, Sky and I had a great co-producer kind of relationship on that that was really good for our friendship. And and um, and then, you know, we did a week of sessions at the end of that album with Casey and, and Christian and Morgan, who, who have been like, you know, in the band playing live and, 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 you know, contributing in great ways for the last 10 years, you know. And then I guess I was like, I just wanted those, those kind of, I, I just felt like I wanted to finish the album instead of opening it up to that kind of like week long, you know, add some arrangements kind of like thing like we did on Crack Up. I, and since we don't have a tour to do, I just wanted to like zero in, finish this album with Beatrice and then start working with those guys like on actually writing songs together um, since we won't be able to do any kind of like touring for a while and we've never actually done that before. You know, it's like, I, I you know, my ideal situation is that, you know, this project can accommodate a lot of different contributions from people mm -hmm. and that um, it doesn't have to be the same thing every time because it actually hasn't been the same thing every time you know like the first Fleet Foxes record is you know uh, the drummer Nick Peterson and the, and the bass player Craig Kern who played on that record they weren't actually on that tour you know we had this other great lineup for that tour that kind of like really helped the band you know be solidified in people's minds as like a thing you know we had this album that was with those two guys and then me doing all the vocals and most of the guitars and then this great live band that kind of was like proving that the, the band was something real, you know, and then that was a different thing on the next album. And then on the next album, it was different from that too. So it's kind of like, I'm just trying to balance, you know, you know, respecting the dynamics of, of, of the history of the band and also opening it up to, to new, new contributions. Yeah. Because, you know, if you had just gone under your, your name, from the very beginning this probably wouldn't even be part of the conversation but but because yeah. there's a band name you know yeah. it, it it sort of becomes like well who's the band this oh, time sure. you know right to me it's like i don't think i'm not um there's no way like those guys put in years of their lives to making this stuff visible you know mm -hmm. that's such that's a huge part of why i am you know able to like talk to you or you know why the band means anything to people so that's it's not like I really honor that and, and that means a lot to me. And I also, you know, I also have a vision for these things and I, and I like um, seeing that vision through or I have liked that on these albums, you know. Yeah. 
Well, that uh, that sort of brings into the very beginning of the record because as the music starts, that's not your voice that we hear right off the bat, right? Yeah. I mean, that, and and that's got to be a big choice too. Like this album opens up, not with me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to, you know, it's it's not really about most of the record isn't, you know, a lot of the lyrics are really outward looking, and you know, my voice comes in just saying for Richard Swift, and you know, I wanted to kind of like be foregrounding. I thought having, you know, her voice is so beautiful and, and so striking that you know putting someone else out there, out there at the very top is, you know, a little bit destabilizing, but it's a very beautiful song, you know, that, that's another thing, like, you know, Krakow was destabilizing in kind of like, in confrontational ways sometimes, but this was destabilizing in kind of like welcoming ways, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing where you, you, you're still wanting to surprise people and catch their attention, but more like with these kind of, um, you know, I don't know, treats or something, I, I don't know. <laughs> And, there are uh, treats all over this record. I will, I will back yeah. you up on that. Yeah. Excellent. yeah. <laughs> What's um? You did say something a minute ago too about you know making sure you honor the past of the band in that way while you know forging ahead. And I guess I I, I found a few of those moments that I perceived anyway in that you know when I look to a song like "A Long Way Past the Past," like what an interesting kind of angle that you come at that with because that's looking at your past, but sort of like. Because most of the time, you know, when we talk about nostalgia, when we talk about it, it's the rose tinted glasses and everything's like, oh, the yeah. good old days. And you're saying, as I'm hearing it anyway, it's like, is it? Was it? Totally. I mean, I, I think that that was like, you know, because that to me, you know, the that's a, the, exactly the point of how you just described it. That would be, you know, the, the idea of the lyric, um, 100%. And I think at that point in the record, you know, I was thinking about that would be a good thought to kind of in, inject at that point in the record because a song like Sunblind is so much about like memories all we have. We have to keep these people alive with our memory of them and kind of, you know, carry them forward and carry the past forward. And then to have a kind of, not a referendum on that, but just the wrinkle that, you know, like we're also in this time where n nostalgia is like pretty, can be pretty toxic. And you know, we're seeing, you know, with Make America Great Again and just these kind of like people afraid of the future or afraid of change and and you know it's just uh, just that reckoning that stock taking that has to always be you also just have to be balancing like what you're carrying with you and what you're leaving behind you know in in marking of time i mean that's nothing new for you we we had back white winter hymnal third of <laughs> may you know that that seems to be something that come i mean that, that comes up in your lyrics with almost every album why, why is that? Do you find that there's a reason for that, that, that you find that? And even this record, you know, was released on the autumnal equinox. You know, it's time, time, time. Man, I mean, I think, I guess like my pretentious answer to that would be like music. One of the things that I love about music, and I guess, and I guess this would be true of any art form, except, uh, yeah, I guess any art form. It's just that, that you have this opportunity to manipulate time because you have if you listen to this album straight through, you have this person's undivided attention for 55 minutes. And it's up to you if that feels like 55 hours or if it feels like 15 minutes, you know? And I think um, that's a certain kind of power that I think is like really fascinating to me. Um, the, just the power of like controlling a person's perception of time. And I think that um, that is something I get really obsessed by when it comes time to sequence an album or to sequence a song or, you know, just balancing whatever the, you know, the, what, what's a better word I can use than phenomenology, um, balancing the um, experience of the sequence of surprises or, or consistencies that, that keep someone engaged and, and that kind of contract time, 
you know? Um, and I think that, so that doesn't have anything to do with lyrics, with, <laughs> but lyrically, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just this, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It's on everyone's, it's on everyone's mind. That's a terrible answer. But. No, it's, it's, it's your answer. It's not a terrible answer. It's just your answer. It's something I think about a lot. And I guess that's why, I mean, I get that out of your songs a lot. You know, when you find a band, an artist that you like, a song that you like, you want to, you want to get your own person. I don't know, it's on my mind. I think about, um, you know, songs as the ultimate, like if, if time travel doesn't exist, but, it, but this is it. Like music is the time traveler. You know, I, I said before, you know, I'm surrounded by cassettes behind me and I could put any one of these on and I'm in that yeah. specific day, you know, but. So crazy. Imprints so dramatically on your memory, you know, just, it's such a weird, yeah, I mean, I know exactly what you mean. It's such a fascinating aspect of the, the art form for sure. Yeah. And maybe other than smell, I, I can think no other sense, you know, or, or art form allows for that mm -hmm. in, in the exact yeah. same way. Kind of yeah, that was interesting because another thing that happened, you know, working on this album was our granddad um, had a stroke and, and he's, he's going to be totally fine. But there was a week where, you know, he wasn't really remembering us and we were all, you know, reckoning with that possibility that, you know, he would, you know, he'd be physically fine or physically recover, but wouldn't know who we were, you know, and we were like really struck by the fact that like, you know, his memories were, um, we were only existed as memories to him, you know, and um and so then my dad, you know, he's like, put a, you know, a, got a little physical boombox thing that he could load MP3s of my grandpa's favorite songs onto, you know, and then they took that to, to, to the hospital. And it was like, that was part of what helped him recover, you know, and it was like, just having that happen in the middle of working on this record that, you know, so much about memory and, you know, the immortality via music. And, you know, it's just super imprinted on the lyrics and it was, it was really powerful. That does lead in because there is a bigger time concept at play here with uh, with the 24 hour song album. Do I have that right? Like there was a, is that something that you wanted to do? For sure. Yeah, I mean, that was my original idea for the record was that it would be 24 songs, no first or last song, but you could just kind of start it at whatever hour you wanted. Like if you wanted the more upbeat stuff, you'd start it around noon or something. And if you wanted the, like, I don't know, just kind of time it, you know, time the whole thing so that, if you had a, you know, had it as a Spotify playlist on loop, it was just kind of this one little self-contained gradient cycle. And that's still possible because some of these songs were written with that ultimate execution in mind. And so we're working on that now in terms of like how to slot songs in the, between the songs on shore to make that work or how to rearrange them with an extra nine songs to kind of fit this bigger picture. And I think that that idea kind of came, became viable again because of we have this extra year of now of time before there's going to be a tour. And so I was like, you know what, maybe we can take that idea off the shelf, have that be like a weird bonus version of this album. And then, you know, so when we go out on a tour again, there's this, there's this other little, you know, offering of something to, to go along with that. I, I wish more artists would, would try those things right there because, you know, again, to have a song and the imprint that comes along with it, but to get that extra almost game that goes along with it, you know, and I, I can think of a handful of artists that have, like Trent Reznor did this whole multimedia thing back in the mid 2000s with a year zero record. Then just having that kind of opportunity, you know, it's like, yeah. I, I love that. I, I hope that you all continue and, and, and go yeah. for that. That's, the, that's what's on deck. So, yeah. In the meantime, Sure is a perfect album, uh, front to back. I absolutely love it. I always love what you do. And Robin, it's so awesome to, to talk to you about it uh, again and again. Thank you so much.
Yeah, thank you so much. Great to talk to you again, Kyle. Take care. Now, the last time Robin and I talked was all the way back on the uh, the Crack Up record, which itself was a six-year absence between uh, the previous release. And in that time, uh, Robin had gone to college, did a little world traveling before finding the direction of voice that would bring him back into songwriting. So we got to talk about the album's themes, his own signature style, and much, much more. So uh, part two, Kyle Meredith with the Fleet Foxes. Hi, this is Robin. Welcome back. I guess that's the uh, that's the big the big greeting at this point, right? <laughs> Thank you. Good to be back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, as the story goes, you, you took the time off and went to college. I don't know if you feel like you got your backup plan now, your plan B, in case this doesn't <laughs> work out. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I flunked out of finance, so I'm just, I, I'm, I, I got in music now. Yeah. yeah. Stuck being a musician, a successful musician for the rest of your life. <laughs> sorry to hear that. Um, Thank you. Thank you. For understanding. Yeah. When this all happened, though, when you made that decision, what was it like with the conversation with the rest of the band? Were they were they behind you? Were they did did everyone know that you were going to take an actual break? That it was more than just the album cycle? Well, I think that everyone wants to do this when it's exciting. When everyone's excited to do it, you know. So it wouldn't be something we'd want to do if people had, myself included, had other kind of things drawing them. To, or other curiosities that they were they were exploring, and so in that sense, everyone because we all want to do this, and we we knew if we did this again, we just wanted it to be this very positive experience for everyone. In that sense, everyone was very understanding, and I was very understanding of, of everything else everyone was doing as well. And I sort of wish that it hadn't been quite as long. I don't know if it needed to be to be quite so long, but it's okay. We'll just start working on the next one now. <laughs> Which I hear you're already doing, and that's sort of amazing considering just you know the timeline for this uh, stretch that's a possibly a quick turnaround for you guys yeah i feel like i don't know making this one i just it was very i learned a lot and we solved a lot of problems in the course of making it and it just seemed like things as we, we kept making it, it got things got clearer and clearer and so i i I'd hate to lose that momentum you know and it's hard not to try to read in to your lyrics to decipher, you know, things. I mean, we do that with every artist, so it's not anything new, and especially in my job. Uh, but there's this line in there where it says, uh, the endless vacation felt like perdition. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was wondering if that was a statement to, to this time off uh, in school and, and traveling the world. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. <laughs> uh, but that was only like, I wrote that lyric only like six months or eight months after touring Helplessness Blues. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> So it was <laughs> even, uh, yeah, even longer since then. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm no good at relaxing either, for what it's worth. So you know, it's it kind yeah. of u- use that as how I my, how I feel, you know, interpreted, and uh, I completely get it. So I can't I can't sit on a beach. I can't do it. I can't do it either. Um, while I'm on lines and picking this apart, uh, it, the very first line is is pretty stunning when it says, "I am all that I need." What, what's going on there? While I was in school, I, I felt like I had kind of free reign to make whatever kind of music I wanted. And so one of those, one kind of music that that was, was just this very quiet kind of laconic music that was, I was never intending to release. And that was one of the, well, that was one of the parts from that period of writing. And so I think when I wrote it, I had, maybe I really felt that way. And then choosing to put it on the album, I was, I, I saw it more as a, a presenting a problem that needed to be resolved by the end of the record, you know, like like this expressing this kind of, this person's sounding self-sufficient, but they also sound really wounded and, and kind of broken, you know, uh, 
and to kind of present that as like the first the first problem on the record and then have the record explore that more or uh, and eventually end very whole, you know, hopefully kind of more together or or more kind of back in the fold, you know, so it just kind of gave the record somewhere to go to put that at the top. So it's it's much smarter then to listen to the record as a whole journey and not as I'm obviously trying to do here, just centering out on one line and making that a defining statement. <laughs> yeah, because you know I, I and I, I will do that one more time just for the context of this. But uh, there's a there's a spot in Kept Woman where you say I'm the same as you saw me back then, and I thought, well, that's probably not true. And more so, I didn't even know if that was more of a character study or biography. But uh-huh. it's, uh, yeah, there's some lines. Uh, I mean, with the yeah, there there's some lines that when I write them, I think I'm like, okay, this is obviously you know this is not um, to, meant to be taken at face value, but just just here and there, like the ones you're mentioning. Yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. The ones I'm mentioning <laughs> <laughs> would be that. Hey, you know, talking you talking about this writing, you know, in the in betweens and, and while you were at school and everything, it's it's interesting because um, there was an impression, you know, and, and maybe it's how the press runs away with thing, but there was an impression that you were done. You know that that it, it was over, but from what it sounds like, on from your point of view, that that was never the case. That you were writing, and well, I mean, you know, I was everything I was kind of studying. It was like I built this little album curriculum for myself. It was all kind of like, oh, let's study some stuff that'll help with making a record eventually. So, you know, if I weren't in, intending to to make another Fleet Foxes album, I probably would have done something different. And you popped up at one point. Uh, I think it was on Fallon to do the Pearl Jam cover, which. I'm a very big Pearl Jam fan, so that was a nice moment for me. I think you what, you, you did Corduroy, maybe? Was that it? Corduroy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but that was the moment I was like, oh, he's not done. He's not done at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other part of your writing, you do it in movements, more so than, than most artists. And, you know, it's like I kind of think about comedy, and, and sometimes they have to force an ending, you know, to the joke. when Like SNL sometimes do, does that. And, and I figure the way you write, because it's usually like, two or three songs together and you kind of skirt uh-huh. that you, you never exactly have to finish it doesn't have to be the complete period like you do and like what attracts you to that type of writing i i wonder about that myself because i guess i've been writing songs since i was about 14 and this isn't something i was doing back then i was trying to write verse chorus bridge verse chorus trying to do that and i guess you know it's it's, it's not like i think this is a better way to do it but i think just doing Sometimes if something sounds too much like a song or too much like a like song form, then I think it's kind of cliched. You know, there's something about that um, that structure that is like functionally useful and like and great. I love traditional traditional song form um, when it's done well, but sometimes it can feel perfunctory and like uh, not compelling to me. So it's it's just I I feel like I'm always trying to pursue the thing that that strikes my the uh, curiosity or, or, or perks my ears up that if I heard it, I would, I would wonder what that artist, what trip that artist was on, you know, what, what they were chasing. And that has meant, I guess on this record more and more these kind of like fragmented things where, where little sections of music are functioning as a bridge or a chorus, but not in the traditional sense. And I don't really, I can't say it's a better approach, but it's just kind of where, where it's ended up on certain songs. You know, just in in pursuing a kind of a a feeling of of novelty, at least in how we work on music. A perfect approach for you guys. I mean, it completely stamps 
uh, Fleet Foxes with originality. I mean, you have your own sound. There's not another Fleet Foxes. I, you know, it's not like I can turn around and be like, oh, Fleet Foxes, they sound like, you know, these three bands because of just the way you do compose it. Right. That's great. I mean, that's the goal. You know, yeah. hopefully you end up end up there at some point. Yeah. Uh, I love the record. It's beautiful. I'm so glad that you're back at it. And, uh, you know, as a selfish fan, I cannot wait till the next one. So Great. Thank you so much. That means a lot. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Robin. Take care. You too. Thank right. you. My thanks again, Robin Pecknold. The new Fleet Foxes record is called Shore, and it's out now. Thanks to you for listening to the episode. Uh, I do hope you hit the subscribe button before you leave here. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, even YouTube, or the video version of this is, or wherever you get your podcasts from. New interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so subscribe now. And after that, head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can find me on the social media spots, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all of them, at Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.